You 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 know I D I D in the D in the town all day. I D I D in the D in the S E A. You you know I D I D in the D in the town all day. I D I D in the D in the S E A. So should we get into Let's Remember Some Years? Let's Remember 1999. A, a unique year. Uh, this was supposed to be... I mean, every th- year is a unique year when you think about it. 1999 is an interesting one, though. The more that I dived into looking at 1999, I was like, oh, this is this is a year. I feel like we've been waiting for this one. Should we talk about Y2K here? Off the top? And we're going. We're starting with Y2K? we got to start with Y2K. It was the dominant theme of 1999. We definitely had, like... A certain level of panic about it. There was that Family Guy episode where Y2K happens and then they start a whole new community. Like, I distinctly remember watching that and being, like, a little concerned. Yeah. I mean, I de- definitely, like, it seemed like a legitimate fear that we didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, and then it turned out it just was the plot of the movie Office Space. That's what I was going to say. Is Like, we'll talk about film later, but, like... Y2K was basically a plot in the movie Office Space. Yes. I don't remember being specifically frightened on New Year's Eve 1999, though. I just mostly remember having the glasses that had the zero zeros as the lenses. Not as the lenses. Okay, so New Year's Eve 1999. I feel like we were together. I was sitting at Grandma and Grandpa's house. Yeah, I think so. Like all, I think it was just you and me. Nobody else was there. Wait, what? Everyone else went out and left us there? I'm pretty sure it was just you and me there. That seems kind of unlikely. Because I remember sitting in Grandma and Grandpa's back living room, watching news radio as midnight hit. And I was like, it, it was in the episode that Tiffany Amber Thiessen was on. I distinctly remember sitting there. I don't there. remember Tiffany Amber Thiessen being on news radio. Short guest on news radio. Huh. And her being on that episode and then... It clicked over to midnight, and I was like, huh, I guess it's the year 2000 now. It's <laughs> like, mm, nothing happened. It really didn't change that much. And it was just having to go from writing 99 to 00, which was a big adjustment, I would say. Yeah. Bigger even than like a 19 to 20 in a new decade. It was a thing that we thought about, though, like throughout the year. For sure. I mean, you know, there definitely was uncertainty about it. And, and just the excitement of Party Like It's 1999. Uh, the new decade. The millennium, if you will. Oh, uh, yes. In my case, Robbie uh, Williams, being millennium. part of the graduating class of 2000. I know. We'll talk about exciting. that next year. I always felt like that was like a pretty fun graduating class. Possibly literally a, the definition of a millennial, depending on how you cut it off. But we're not, you know, as you say, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about 99. Uh, okay. So the Seahawks make the playoffs under Mike Holmgren. First year. John Kitna is quarterback. This is for the first time since 1980. I want to say 87, but that might not. That might be going too far back. Maybe it was 88. It was somewhere in that range, though. It, it is kind of funny when you look at these teams where, like, the Patriots were a laughingstock, right, for a couple of decades. Correct. And that the Patriots are now known as, like, basically the class of NFL franchises for the last two decades. The Seahawks right in there. I mean, we've looked at this last decade, but the Seahawks really... They're still kind of on the run that they started in 1999. Yeah. I mean, if you go to their pro football reference page, there's this huge gap between it was 88 that they lost in the division round and 99. And then, you know, really 2003, I guess you would say was the start of it. Since then, they have not missed the playoffs in more than two consecutive seasons and have missed the playoffs a total of four times in the past 17 seasons. Yeah. So it's a very different environment. I mean, the funny thing is the 90s Seahawks weren't necessarily terrible. 
Like they had, under Dennis Erickson, their records were eight and eight, seven and nine, eight and eight, eight and eight. They were just the most average team. But possible. that was they, we considered those teams to be like bounce back teams from how bad they were in the early nineties. Correct. I mean, they, there was the stretch of two and fourteen, six and ten, six and ten under uh, Tom Flores. Dennis Erickson. Let me give you a Husky comparison. Dennis Erickson. He was the Sark. Is the Sark of the Seahawks? You needed a transition coach wow. just to get you back to competence. So because that made Pete Carroll the Jimmy like. Because <laughs> if so, I think I mean we're in good shape. Wait, <laughs> he's also got like forty years until he gets to Pete Carroll's age. I so guess that is true. Shape. No, I haven't. I think we might know who Jimmy Lake is. Defensive backs coach came in really hot, changing the program. Young guy. I don't know about came in really hot changing the program. I'm just saying, there was a coach in between those two coaches. It didn't go Mike Holmgren to Pete Carroll. Yeah. You know what yeah, I'm I implying here. I, I, I did not really think Pete about Carroll, that. Oh, no. We don't know who the <sighs> Pete Carroll is of Husky football. Maybe it's Pete Carroll. Oh, wow. I didn't, didn't, I didn't even consider that. So, so that 99 season, the Seahawks, it seemed like we're not just going to make the playoffs. We're actually going to be very competitive. They started out the season 8-2. This was also near the end of their era in the AFC West. Got a big win at Kansas City to go to 8-2. And, and then proceeded to lose their next four games in a row. <laughs> 1999 us must have been semi-excited. Was this Charlie Rogers was on the team, right? Yes, Charlie Rogers was my favorite Seahawks. And we loved Charlie Rogers. Yep. Galloway was still on the team? Uh, that was the year that Joe Galloway held out, played the eight games that was required to fulfill his contract. And so actually after the, the team got season. bad is when... Joey Galloway came back. That is correct. What about Corn Robinson? Is this too early for Corn Robinson? This is too early for Corn Robinson. Okay. Uh, the other receivers on that team, uh, Sean Dawkins was the leader in targets and yardage. Derek Mays was the leader in receptions. And then Mike Pritchard was was still around. Mike Pritchard. Wow. Yeah. First round draft pick was defensive end out of Saginaw Valley State. Yes. Whose name was Lamar... Lamar King. Lamar <laughs> King. No, yes, Lamar Hunt. <laughs> they named, he was so good. They named the trophy after him. Uh, Lamar Hunt, who in his career had... Uh, Lamar King. Lamar King, yes. Uh, 12 sacks. <sighs> we'll, see if, if, we'll see if yeah, Collier gets there. That's the over-under. I don't know. I think I think the other under on the LJ Collier, as it turns out. He did have a six-sack season in his second year. Uh, did not make a lot of impact as a rookie. Yeah, so the, the what I, one of the games I remember a lot that season is there was a showdown at home against Tampa Bay, who had uh, just replaced Trent Dilfer with Sean King, and Tampa Bay at that point uh, they were only six and four coming into that game, but they ended up eleven and five. They won five of their last. They won uh, eight of their last nine games. They were the anti Seahawks and finished eleven and five. Uh, but the Seahawks did get the one win they needed at home against Kansas City on the day after Christmas, nineteen ninety nine. And then Kansas I have City no recollection of this game at all. Me neither. Kansas City lost the next week. There was a field goal at the end of the game that either was missed or made that allowed the Seahawks to back into the playoffs as there the AFC West champions at nine and seven. Hello. While losing at the Jets nineteen nine. And kind of like Pete Carroll's first season. Yes. Actually kind of better than that. But then uh then in the playoffs, technically in the year two thousand, lose to the Miami Dolphins during Dan Marino's final win. 
is an NFL player before they got clobbered by the Jaguars the next week. Uh, a game where Charlie Rogers returned to kickoff for a touchdown, one of the few highlights for the Seahawks in that 2017 loss. Well, if Chris were here, he would say that he was at the Kingdome at the time. Or this might have been the this was the last game at the last Kingdom. Game we are nearing at the Kingdom. We are nearing the 20th anniversary of the Kingdom being demolished. Yeah, we'll talk about that next year. Well, but we've got there's an entire podcast lined up for the anniversary of that, which is later this month. Wait, do we so really? Just you wait. There's a there's a celebrity interview that I'm unaware of. I, I guess you're unaware of it. I, have I not told you about it? There was somebody who has expressed a kingdom take that we have discussed on this very podcast that uh, that I interviewed about it. I have no idea who worked at the kingdom. Who worked at the kingdom? No, that's all. That's all the teasers you get. Maybe maybe some people will remember who that person was. Uh, so the last game at the Kingdom, Chris would say, because he was there sitting in the first row of the 200 level, pretty good seats, and uh, he would say that the Seahawks kept getting sacked because of a resistance to run the shotgun formation. Oh, yeah, Holmgren very much hated to run the shotgun at that point, I feel like. Did he ever start liking the shotgun? Because to me, my, they like, were very low in their usage of it throughout his tenure. When I picture Matt Haas, he's under center. Yes. Uh, what about the Sonics? So this was the strike-shortened season. Also, one of the memories. So this was was that was the first year we ever went to a Seahawks regular season game. Yeah, the Cincinnati Bengals with their three-four defense. Exotic back then. Oh, uh, the Seahawks man. won at thirty-seven to twenty. One of the things I remember from that is using Amon Green as a short yardage back, where he actually he averaged four point six yards per carry. Although we know that uh, yards per carry is not that good a metric, but I remember that not being a great use of Amon Green, and then he went to Green Bay. It was just like a Excellent. very good. God, their middle linebackers. Back. It was Brian Simmons and Takeo Spikes. Takeo Spikes. Yeah. God, frightening middle linebackers from the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, uh, yeah. So those those are some '99 Seahawks memories. That's the Sonics. So the lockout ended in early January. Okay, they're coming back. It's a 50 game season. Uh, they have a new coach. They've hired Paul Westfall, Sonics legend Paul Westfall. Wow. Who had his one thrilling season in Seattle where they didn't make the playoffs in between going to the uh, uh, winning the champion or no, going to the Western Conference Finals and then like being a 50 win team against the, the next year. He was there the year in between because he got injured partially and Gus Williams didn't. Who, really? That was when Paul Westfall was. Who we should mention, by the way, Gus Williams, uh, very sad news, suffered a stroke last week in uh, at his uh, winter home in South Carolina. So uh, hoping the best for his recovery, certainly. As he uh, battles that. Uh, anyways, Paul Westphal named the coach. The Sonics remake their roster a little bit. Gone is Jim McElvain. He got traded weirdly for Michael Cage, who did not make the roster. Uh, I didn't even know that he got traded for Cage. Gone is Detlef Tremf, who signed with Portland as a free agent. <sighs> the long history of Sonics ending their careers in Portland. I don't know if that long. Who they, else? Well, Kemp played there. Uh, not the end of his career, but yes. But, but late stage Sonics in Portland. Yes. Uh in the Sonics signed two prominent members of the Sacramento Kings, Hello. Billy Owens and Olin Polonese. Bo, oh my God, Bo and, and Op, they really were like those were their nicknames. Also, classic draft that year. Was this, this was '98, but they had Richard Lewis got drafted. Oh man, and Elo was the previous year. No, Elo was like two years before. We never oh. really discussed him, but he was '96, '97. It is kind of crazy how Craig Elo is like sort of an NBA legend. In a way, he's a prominent NBA figure. We hated Craig Elo. He was very bad by the time they got him. I don't. I don't think that was Craig Elo's fault. 
He just was washed. Okay, so bad side. Bill, Billy Owens, who kind of seemed like a modern NBA player, right? He he was a, a bigger small forward who could right. kind of do everything. Maybe he wasn't a great shooter. He was not. But we had high hopes for Billy Owens. I mean, we were excited about this. I remember in the preseason, or maybe this was early in the season, Billy o- or Olden Polonese talking about how now the Sonics aren't playing four on five on offense anymore. Wow. <laughs> Uh, Perkins was also gone at this point, I believe, too. Oh, dang. He went to Indiana? Yes. It was, so it was like really kind of a start of a new era for the Sonics. But the, again, there was hopes. Uh, Big Smooth could still be in the NBA. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think he could. Shouts to Big Smooth. And the Sonics come out at the start of this lockout-shortened season. And they win their first... I thought it was eight in a row. That sounds right. It was actually only six in a row, including the captain. This was a great season. Loved the NBA. Uh, with Utah Jazz, the final score was 71 oh, to 56. 56? 71 to 56. This is Utah Jazz who had been to the NBA Finals each of the two previous seasons. Wow. I think the Blazers scored that in the first half tonight. <laughs> Most teams score that <laughs> in the first half. Wow. <laughs> I mean, 56 is like an average NBA half now. Uh, they scored oh, no more than 18 points in any quarter in well, that game. So their first loss, if I recall correctly, came on the road to... And Utah came into that game 6-0, and by the way, so it was a showdown. A thrilling rookie by the name of White Chocolate. That is correct. Jason Williams was taking the NBA by storm. The Kings, having regrouped from the loss of Olden Polonies and Billy Owens, <laughs> had added Jason Williams, Chris Weber, and Vlade Divac. <laughs> Hired Rick Allen as coach. Wow. And suddenly became like the most fun team to watch in the NBA. This that, was in that, that game. That like, month of Jason Williams was so exciting. I think he shook Gary Payton. Correct. In, in One that of his game. main highlights, yes. And it was just like, wow. It was like, this is a new generation here. <laughs> this is basketball. Basketball to come. We have witnessed it. So there's another thing that happened early this season we haven't talked about, which is that. Moochie uh, Norris. Odellif was still on the team here this year. I got my timing wrong. Uh, so what happened is that Paul Westfall, in his wisdom, decided to start Millie Owens at shooting guard and decided not to start Hersey Hawkins holdover from the 98 team. Uh, was a much better outside shooter, much better compliment and to also, what And also, wasn't Billy Owens like 6'8 and couldn't shoot? Yeah. Oh, was my God. badly out of shape, like many players were after the lockout, <laughs> as it turns out. Can you out. imagine in modern times starting Billy Owens at the two guard? The Sixers can. <laughs> so then Billy, that, is that a tobias harris joke who is that i mean tobias they, they actually like they just have a weird lineup but they don't have enough shooting uh sixers can then billy owens gets hurt and paul westfall decides no, i'm not gonna start with hersey hawkins who had a long streak of consecutive starts we we asked him about this when we had him on the pelton cast many years ago i'll have to link that uh instead he starts richard lewis a 19 year old rookie second round pick out of high school we love Richard, though. We knew Richard was going to be good. We were excited about Richard. We didn't know he was going to be good until the next season. We'll talk about that. I remember, remember him being scrawny. Oh, so skinny. So after the 6-0 start, the Sonics proceed to lose, I guess, only nine of their next 12 games to drop it to 9-9. Nine and nine. They were 25-25 and 25 for the year, right? And then, yeah, they basically just alternated wins and losses the rest away. It finished 25 and 25. Do not make the playoffs. This was... Oh, I thought they were the eight seed that year. No. No, the next year they made the playoffs. But this was like stunning that they did not make the playoffs. And the other thing that's going on here, Vin Baker. 
who misses a lot of free throws in a row to start the season. Uh, those people who are badly out of shape to, after the lockout, a group that also includes Sean Kemp, definitely includes... I mean, this was kind of the end of each of their careers. Certainly their all-star careers, or, you know, the part, the part of their career we think of. Uh, Vin, that me- season, to begin this year, in during that 6-0 stretch, went 0 of 14 from the free throw line. Finally made one in his seventh game and improved to one of 20 on the season oh from the free God. throw line. Wait, he and only took 20 free throws all year? No, that was that was oh. it through his first seven games. Uh, and that really kind of devastated his confidence. And in addition to the alcohol, alcoholism that we <laughs> didn't know about at the time, but later learned about, uh, he turned went from, in 98, a guy who was a good replacement for Kemp had made the Sonics uh, an equally good, if slightly different we team. We really to, liked Finn Baker for that one year. Really, really disastrously bad. I mean, the the lockout not only affected kind of a generation of players, I think. Basketball wasn't the same until LeBron in 2003. And even then, maybe even for a few years after that. That's probably true. Until the rules changes and the 0405 Suns. It, it the mo- took, that's the start of the modern era. It took a solid three or four years to recover from this lockout. I mean, but, it was like trends were going this direction in terms of scoring being down. Well, but the loss of Jordan, Jordan was gone. Yeah. Whereas, like, the, there was who? Who do you think was the biggest star? I mean, Tim. This was Tim Duncan's rookie year, right? Yeah, uh, it was his second season. Malone was MVP for the second time in yeah, three years. Like, you have players who are just like no. The Spurs I, did win the championship that year. I'm sure there are people who care about Carl Malone, but like I've heard Simmons yeah, talk about this in times where it's like the city of Salt Lake City exists. But like Malone has he's kind of been lost to history. He's not on TV. Like, yeah, the the lasting fair. effects of Carl Malone have been very minimal. Uh, I don't remember watching a single game of that year's NBA Finals, which was Nick Spurs. Yeah, Nick. Good God, Nick Spurs, and this was the year that the Knicks were the eight seed. And yes. went to the finals as yes. the eight seed, so that took a, a a bit of the pressure off our backs. Yeah, the Denver. Denver uh, <laughs> uh, so the, that was nice. Then the Sonics had a lottery pick that year, Corey Maggette, who they traded to Orlando for Horace Grant. Not, uh, yeah, we liked Corey Maggette. We liked that pick. I mean, we never got a chance to. I never knew him as a Sonic because I recall that day I had a baseball game. I was playing baseball that summer with our cousin David. And so I missed the entire draft. But like we wanted the Sonic. We knew who Corey McGetty was. Oh, I sure. thought he was going to be a good player. Sure. And now a good color analyst. Is he really? Yeah. He oh, does, okay. does nice work on the Clippers broadcast. Uh, yeah. So one of my defining memories that, that summer is playing or that spring slash summer is playing baseball wow. for the only time I ever played organized Is this, baseball. have we talked about, we've discussed all of your hitting mailboxes. We came up earlier. Okay. This was that it was on the way to a baseball game. You hit another like twenty three mailboxes. It was a it was a cul de sac, and they had like the group mailbox, much as you do in here. At your, at Our the, mailbox got hit here too. Wait, where were you? <laughs> I have not hit any mailboxes in over twenty years, good sir. <laughs> I promise. I guarantee it. Uh, yeah, but. Uh, I think I got two hits all season. Oh, I was hit you got by, hit two times all season. I was hit by pitch another couple of times. <laughs> definitely my my on base percentage was way higher than my slugging. I was ahead of my time in that regard. <laughs> Played a lot of positions defensively. I was very versatile. Do you have any thoughts on this? On you playing base? I never went to a single one of your games. You didn't? No, I didn't I, realize. I, that. I only saw you play softball. Yeah, I had, I had better stuff to do. You know, it was the millennium. <laughs> 
was it yet? I had injured high school at this point. I really had nothing better to do, actually. I have almost no memories of this Mariners season. They went 79-83. This was the season they started in the Kingdom and then moved mid-season to Safeco Field. I think this was the last year that I cared about the Mariners. That sounds right. And I, We've discussed uh, on other podcasts, the uh, Lookout Landing pod, that the, them opening Safeco Field was the worst thing they ever could have done in terms of your interest in the Mariners. I truly don't know why. I think it was, I was headed in this direction anyway. And for whatever reason, they're just becoming exhaust with baseball, right? Like, I, this is not just me. This this was a at least partially citywide thing. There are other people I don't who felt this that. way. I don't think there were that many people that felt that way. They but were about to I, get I think, their most popular ever. I think there were people who were part of the, like, Griffey generation of Mariners fans who, I mean, what, when did they trade Griffey? Was Griffey it was it? on this team. He was on this team. He but demanded a he trade got traded, after the season. But so it was right after they went to Safeco, though. Correct. It was basically Which was like, the house that Griffey built, ironically. Safeco wasn't Griffey's place. The, <laughs> the kingdom was for us as 90s Mariners fans. I think fans. this is like retroactively thinking this. But I'm telling you, I just stopped caring instantly, basically. Right? I, I don't think that's true of other people, though. The, but the difference between me caring and not caring, I started hating the Mariners by 2001. Like, this was a transition year at the very least. So Jamie Moyer started the first ever game at the Kingdom, which got blown by the bullpen. Jose Mesa got the blown save. Oh, God. Joe Table. Well, really, really a fitting summation of the Mariners in that era. I, I do think that this was the time period that the Mariners transitioned from they were the team that we cared about and loved as children to they became the next generation of people's team. You know who I was really excited about in 1999 was Gil Mesh. Oh, we loved Gilmesh. Started 15 games, went 8-4 and four with a 4-7-3 ERA, and then Cloud -like su numbers. suffered a serious injury in the 2000 season. We never, legit thought Gilmesh was going to be good. Oh, uh, yeah. I uh, guess he actually had some good years for the Royals back in the late 2000s, in the late aughts. Th this was the, the last time that I cared about the Mariners at all. I remember actually that summer, the summer of 99, I guess, looking at the schedule and being like, okay, if the Mariners win, like going through it, you know, it was like July. And being like, if they win this game, this game, this game, they'll be back in playoff contention. And then I think three months later, I didn't care at all. That sounds about right. We'll maybe talk about this in the year 2000. Was that when I had my first girlfriend? <laughs> I mean, you would know better than I would, I hope. I feel like it was the summer after. Well, so wait, my freshman year of high school would have been 99 and 2000, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. And then my sophomore year would have been 2000 and 2001. Yes. I'm going to say it's in the year... I was a sophomore. <clears throat> it was the summer after I was a sophomore. Maybe it was the summer after I was a freshman. It just it wasn't 99. Just, I'm just making, it to say. making sure that it wasn't 99 when I dated Roxy Girl 44. Um, <laughs> you know what we never discussed last year, by the way? Well, this was a big miss. What? We didn't discuss Washington basketball. Oh, wow. Thank because you, they Carrie. made the NCAA tournament for the first time again in our like lifetime as fans. That was the year I, I mean, I had followed like the Mark Sanford teams, but that team with Todd McCullough <clears throat> and, uh, and uh, Donald Watts was the first, and Dion Shooten Luton was the first Husky team that, you know, uh, really we, we cared. We cared. We cared a lot. And so the next year, they make it back to the NCAA tournament. This was actually like the stronger team, really, of the two. Uh, in 99 
uh, started the season as the 14th ranked team in the AP preseason pool. But, they played uh, UConn early on, Jake Foskell. Yes, the uh, I believe they called it the Elite Eight tournament. Because they lost rematch. to UConn the previous year. Yes, in the Elite Eight. A rematch Kill of that me. matchup. Kill me right now. I, I actually don't think I'll beat. There maybe are two moments that I've been as devastated in sports. Super Bowl 49 before they canceled it. And then Rip Hamilton hitting that shot. You think more so than 2006? Because like 2006, we actually had a shot. It was it was just the, there was the one shot. That's It was like a different situation. Yeah. 2006, it, it was fell the, apart. Like, what, immediately from win to loss. Yes. Oh, that and was a tough one. I think I don't know. I don't know if I'm over it still. <laughs> You're still not over it. Wow. I mean, I'm still I can't over. believe that we didn't talk about that because it actually was. You I just it traumatic. was one of those. It was moments. also another memory because I remember watching that in our our parents' bedroom. On I was that in the basement. TV. We weren't together. It was one of so weird mini sports memories where we were in the same house but not together, which is unheard of now, right? <laughs> It'd be like insane if we were watching a sporting event in different places. It's like I, you went upstairs to watch it in your bedroom <laughs> and I'm still in your living room. I remember I had to shower because I was going to a show last football season, but when the Seahawks lost to the Niners, on you know what I'm talking about, the, the two years ago against, oh God, who was that quarterback? The Garoppolo replacement, the second one after C.J. Beathard. Uh, Nick Mullins. Yeah, when the Seahawks lost to Nick Mullins. I was upstairs watching that game because I had to shower because I was going to a show. Okay. This was just like we just weren't in the same room and didn't care to be. <laughs> and that, But it was like Rip Hamilton in the, hit that shot and I just collapsed to the ground. <laughs> oh, no. Right? It's just like you can't feel a more sinking feeling than that. And that's what the NCAA tournament is all about. So the 99 team, McCullough and Watts are seniors. Your point guards, you mentioned Senku Carey, who was the exciting freshman on that team. You know who he took playing time from? Who was that? A sophomore point guard by the name of Dan Dickow. Uh, yes, of course. Both ended up transferring, and the program fell apart. But in this moment, what happened is the Huskies... We went to a game that year that was at Key Arena against New Mexico, right? And New Mexico had like a big man. Kenny who, Thomas. Kenny Thomas. Yeah, I was going to say he was like yeah, was a, a solid NBA player. They came in number 11 in the country. I believe they were undefeated at the time. The Huskies beat them 70-61. That was the first Husky basketball game we had ever attended. Because really? we never went to the old Heck Ed before that it was, was renovated. That was the first ever game? Yep. <clears throat> uh, yes, they came into that one 8-0, and oh, and the Huskies handed them a loss. So that was an exciting moment. Uh, but it was kind of an up-and-down non-conference. The Huskies lost to Gonzaga, something that back then was not yet a tradition. Jesus. I believe that it was the 99 Gonzaga team that made the run, right? Dickow was a traitor. Yeah, it was the 99 Gonzaga team uh, that, that at Kiarina, uh started their run to the Elite Eight. And, uh, this because the NCAA Gonzaga tournament was in Kiarina. That was part of it. Also, oh. they played in Minnesota in the first round, and Minnesota had a bunch of players suspended for academic fraud. And if that doesn't happen, maybe the Huskies still dominate Washington basketball all these low these wow. many years later. You can trace it all back to you Minnesota in 1999. They, and then they hired Dan Watson and, <laughs> and promoted Mark Pio. Uh Wow, that's actually kind of wild. It is, a, it is a shocking thing. So the Huskies were a seven seed in the Midwest, much higher than the previous oh, year. Oh, God, was this Serbiak? This is the Wally Serbiak, oh, yeah. Fucking Wally Serbiak. <laughs> Like when Wally Zerbiak played for the Sonics, he was a very nice guy. Good interview. I kind of forgot that he played for the Sonics. Yeah. 
I mean, that that was a very forgettable Sonics team. But I could never look at him and not think of that 99 game. And Bob Bender's just complete refusal to change up his defense, even the slightest bit, <laughs> to account for the fact that Wally Zerbiak is going off and he's on Miami of Ohio. It's not like they had another guy. <laughs> It was just Wally I, Serbiak. I distinctly remember because you couldn't – like, we were kids. We didn't have means to watch these games yeah, it was, unless, it was unless the middle your of the science day. teacher was going to turn it on. Like, I definitely skipped school at various times when I was older, but I wasn't doing that in ninth, ga- ninth grade. I, yeah, I can't even remember how I followed this game, whether I was listening to it on the radio in the car or what. I, I just don't know – in someone's car ride. I have no idea. I remember hearing a couple of teachers talking about the game. Like just I I was like walking out and they're like yeah that guy they have is so good or whatever and I was just like we fucking lost to fucking Miami of Ohio it and was like, like I heard it I heard it and I was just like why I can't even pay attention and then I think I'd recorded it on Graham and Grandpa's TV somehow <laughs> no the VHS maybe I'd recorded it at our house and then I saw the highlights I was just like fuck it I'll watch the highlights I know we lost you know I need. I need I to never, find like a recap I, I of this game. I never actually saw that game though because I heard those teachers talking about it and I was like, I cannot witness this. I mean, just I remember being so frustrated because Wally Szerbiak is going to beat us. I mean, yeah, like we knew who good, how good Wally Szerbiak was because we mentioned last time the Sports Illustrated subscription and there was a big feature on yeah. him leading into the season. We talked about it on the podcast preview on the Pelicans preview. He had forty three points. Oh my and god! That one. And. Wow, I'm still not over this either. <laughs> uh, as the clock wound down inside five seconds, uh, this was Donald Watts's shot was swatted away inside the final five oh. seconds, and suddenly it was over a 59-58 win. Greg Clark got blocked at the buzzer by Zerbiak. Oh, Clark, man, Greg Clark. Brother of current Players Association had Tony Clark. Wait, really? Yeah. I really connect him with the uh, the team in 2001 that was my freshman year uh, of college in the first team. There's like a weirdly, for. for how little I like truly care about husky basketball i'm like pretty jaded about a lot of memories <laughs> right like like there's the the rip hamilton shot mike jensen fouling in that illinois game this the zerbiak game there's tony roten missing the free throws Ugh. i'm like kind of upset i distinctly remember an arizona game when Derek williams we were gonna have this be a short segment for 99 yeah, we still we haven't gotten a media no, no. there was a Derek williams we game football too oh Six or oh seven. You're, are you thinking of maybe it was a little bit later? Hot sauce? No, 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 no. Derek Williams was like twelve. Okay, maybe twelve. Where, where Derek Williams, they would not call the foul on Derek Williams. <laughs> like I'm still devastated about how Derek Williams was refereed, and we were convinced he was going to be a monster in the NBA. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, statistically, it showed out too. Uh, in this game, so the the Miami of Ohio scored fifty nine points. Wally Zerbiak scored 43 of them. He had 18 of 33 from the field. The rest of his teammates were combined 7 of 22. No zone defense. No double team. None of that. (laughs) Only three players from Miami of Ohio scored points. 55 of their 59 came from two players, Wally Zerbiak and someone named Damon Damon Frierson. (laughs) They had zero bench points. They had zero bench points? How did we lose this game? Donald Watts had 28 in his final game. Todd McCullough, just 11 on four of six shooting, uh, surprisingly. Also <sighs> was Donald Watts drafted or he go undrafted? No, he went undrafted. He, I don't think he ever played in a training camp. I once saw him play. Kind of crazy that he, I feel like he was. I once saw him play in the IBL with the Ever Explosion with our with our buddy Huer. Uh-huh. Uh, is his teammate. Did he dominate? 
he was my my takeaway from <clears throat> watching him up there at the uh, Angel of the Winds Casino Arena uh-huh. was that he was to the IBL as Ray Allen was to the NBA. Oh wow, that's what that's what, how good Donald Watts was at that level. Shouts to Donald Watts. God, Bob Bender. Donald Honestly, Watson. like it, in hindsight, you know, it's been over twenty years. We can look back on this. It's kind of fun to have a crazy Zerbiak game. Yeah, it's a better memory. But it would but be if a... it would have been like, yeah, that was the game that Bob Bender adjusted his defense really well and shut down Wally Zerbiak. <laughs> be like that wouldn't be a fun memory. But Instead, maybe they... having it be the Zerbiak game. But they would have played like the Andre Miller Utah team in the next round. That could have been a fun memory. They would have gotten killed by that yeah, team. Probably. So Miami only lost by eight. Uh, you know football. Oh, first year for Rook Neuheisel. Oh, we hello. Last week about how it was so the coaching wait, transitions. This was this was ninety nine. Was he this announced was as the head coach in ninety nine? Yeah, because they fired Lambright. We're sitting like... in Jan's basement. It is <laughs> Saturday this. night, and we have a portable card table sitting around the table. You, me, David Pelton, maybe Michael Bernazzani. And breaking news comes on the TV that the Huskies have hired a new Imagine head coach. The era where you found out things on the news. The golden the boy. We, we we could not have been any more excited about this Rick Neuheisel hiring because Colorado had beaten us in in the uh, Holiday Bowl at some point in here, right? Uh, maybe not. I don't. Maybe that was. A, I thought that was new. He he seemed like a national level. He head was coach. up and coming, and then he brought back the gold helmets. Great move. I mean, really, great first move. Rick Neuheisel should have been like it, at that moment. If you would have told me that he was the Saban of the Huskies, I would have been like, "Yeah, dude." I mean, Neuheisel will be the coach for the next twenty-five years. <laughs> I don't know if I necessarily would count. I'd be like, but I wouldn't have been surprised if he went to another bigger job, like that he. Oh used, you know, yeah, yeah. Rick Neuheisel always had his eye on something bigger too. He went and interviewed with the 49ers. Oh, Neuheisel. There, there was definitely like we fucking love this hire right i don't think we've ever been more excited about it i don't remember being as positive about it but so the huskies that year this was like we'd gone from don james to jim lambright right yeah to rick neuheisel like this is it's night and day we're playing on a national level now with Rick Neuheisel. Yeah, the Huskies did lose to Colorado in a in, in a uh, Holiday Bowl in 96. And then was... he, he freaking, he went out and recruited Paul Arnold and Charles Frederick? It, it's in some order, yes. So the Huskies that year lose their opener at BYU 35-28. A really good game where they come back late and fall just short. Then they lose at home to this Air was Force. Arizona State, is that what you said? Air Force. No, no, what was no, the first game? The opener was BYU. Oh, Arizona BYU. State Thursday opener. night against BYU? Yes. Oh. On ESPN. <laughs> Should have won that game. Yes. So they're 0-2, and you're like, uh-oh, maybe this team isn't very good. Who Tui and, is the quarterback? And then game three, they faced, you know who they faced? Colorado. Oh. Pre-scheduled. Wow. He was much more into it. Than, Pre-scheduled and pre-Pac-12. Than Coach Pete was into playing Boise State. Uh, unveils the option, and all of a sudden, Marcus Tuiasa's cell phone and the offense are unstoppable. The Huskies run off wins in six of their next seven games. The only loss coming twenty eight to seven at Arizona State or at home to Arizona State. I don't remember that one. Was that Ortiz Jenkins? No, Ortiz Jenkins the year before. Probably should have discussed that too. Uh, suddenly, they have the inside track on going to the Rose Bowl until they lose twenty three twenty at 
UCLA. Oh and my Stanford god! Ends up going to the Rose Bowl. I will remember that. I we thought we were going to the Rose Bowl. Stanford. Went, this was a really bad Pac-10 year too. Oh yeah. And Stanford went to the Rose Bowl, and I think they were ranked number twenty-five. That sounds Tro- about right. Troy that, Walters was their star player. Correct. The like, Huskies were only ranked once all season entering that UCLA game. But I think they were better than that. Like they were, they were. One I mean, they of ended the up playing a, the number seven Kansas State in the Holiday Bowl, pretty even, losing that twenty-four twenty. Michael Bishop. Yes. Wow. God. Our, oh man. Late nineties, early two thousands college football. This was like the peak of me playing college. Yes, oh, the so N- much of NCAA football two thousand. I would play as Kansas all the time. Play as Michael Bishop. So there you go, ninety nine in sports. Wow. What else? Man. Get some media. Well, I was going to say, I feel like we don't need to spend a lot of time in sports, but... <laughs> we did. 1999. It was the year of the beginning of a lot of stuff in Seattle sports. 99, I feel like. Every year is the beginning. And the end of the Sox. 1999 was the year of the white male <laughs> in music. <laughs> I'm telling you, look at these films and tell me who music, but... loves these films. Oh. Well, music and film. I mean... Okay, okay. 1999 on the ringer also already like we've we've thought recently about a lot of these movies these are movies where it was like the country had prospered for a long time right like we hadn't had a war for an extended period of time this was like 1999 was the first generation of kids that really didn't experience anything bad would you agree with that sure. and they're becoming teenagers yeah. Like kids who grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, and they're sort of rebelling against like the, their parents and the like, like the hippie generation. No, I think they're past that. They're more rebelling the against the generation. 80s generation. Yuppie? Okay. Yeah. And so it's like, this is more like we're breaking out. This is the individualistic period of white males, right? Like this, these movies right here are why Reddit exists. Let me just read you some of these. The Matrix. Can you imagine? Oh, I'm going to read them first. Fight Club. The Sixth Sense. Blair Witch Project. Being John Malkovich. American Beauty. Office Space. You're just going to skip over the first of the Star Wars prequels? That's a little bit different. It's It's not 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 like a mindfuck movie where you're like, oh, shit. You know what I mean? (laughs) Every single one of those movies is basically the same movie. I don't know if I would go that far, but they have sheer commonalities. In a lot of ways where it's just like, reality isn't what we think it is, man. And you're just like, right? Especially if you were in high school in 1999. Can you imagine being a suburban white male in high school and seeing The Matrix? Right? Like, your mind cannot... Or Fight Club at the end, and you're just like... You would do your senior class video the next year and have it be built around a Matrix parody. That's all you could do. Right? Like, it is insane that all of these movies came out in the same year. Yes. And it's like... It was like there were suburban white kids being like... We're, we're thinking about higher level concepts. You know what I mean? Every suburban white kid became Neil deGrasse Tyson. And like, <laughs> that's what they became. And it was just like, reality isn't what we think it is. We weren't even able to smoke weed legally at the time. And it was just like, ev- everything's different than we think it is. You know what I mean? Because there was nothing to worry about in 1999 in the suburbs and on the music side. Oh, there. By the way, there. I the wag the wag the dog. Bill Clinton, right? Did, no. Was that ninety eight that they had? I think, the, I think wag the dog was ninety eight. 
but it was like we're pushing authority now right like th this is things are changing something that Defining oh my memory of god is the, the wto protests yeah yeah there are no people dressed up like turtles if there isn't the matrix and fight club the battle of seattle not to be confused with the battle in seattle which was gonzaga games or the battle of los angeles um which may have also come out in 1999 <laughs> the ram the chargers no the rage against the machine album uh... Because I did because I looked that up last week. I was curious because you tweeted about the Matrix synchronization oh my of God. the Bridge Against the Machine talk, which happened, of course, in our senior class video. They did that wake up happen. Yeah. Oh my God, dude, that track. It was like they made the track seven years earlier or something for the Matrix. There could not have been a bigger synergy. And look, let me just say the Matrix still rules. I'm not denying that. But, like, everything that has fallen out from basically all I these gotta movies. I got to say, the, the pop psychology, like, the that aspect of it, not a, I don't feel like I'm that big of a fan of it. The, the action part of it still holds up. Human beings are a disease. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Anderson. Hugo Weaving is eternal. Fair. Uh, Fair. <laughs> But the that's what these movies were. They were all pop psychology, right? And that's like what we wanted and were looking for in 1999 as a society. That's what took like none of these movies were major like big budget films, right? They were all like cultish films that became huge from. I there. mean, they were pretty big budget, but yes, they were. This, they were Star Wars, and then you have Star Wars: The Phantom Menace. <laughs> I mean. Office Space was definitely my favorite of these movies by far. I didn't watch it until 2000. But I can the, remember the exactly where I watched it. Office Space still contextually that. is a similar movie where it's like the way that you think about everything. Sure. It's sure. different, right? And it's just like we're all thinking about things one way, but actually it's different. You know what I mean? And that's like really just it's if you had a not the, quite a direct quote from Diedrich Bader in that movie, but it's close. If there's a thesis statement to these films, oh, election, election too, uh, and you're just like, wow, is that? I remember watching that in the theater. Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. That's like not the first one, is it? Or That's is it the, the first, first one. one. Oh, I definitely remember going to watch that at Lewis and Clark. Oh, no, I thought we went in the Tri-Cities. Because I remember seeing Mike no, Myers I... on Conan one night. Mike Myers was a guest on Conan. And I was like, what is this movie? Before Austin Powers became a huge I movie. I feel like we may have seen it with the famous cousin Katie, but I think she may have been here in Seattle. Now we're in Tri-Cities. Ten Things I Hate About You. My God, all of my favorite movies came out. It was also like a classic period for high school movies. I mean, uh, Cruel Intentions. Did Cruel Intentions? Oh, God. Yeah, it's on the Rewatchables 1999. That was a Jesus very Christ. successful and popular series, as it turned out. Was it? I don't know. I don't think that many people on that platform. But Sure. The concept was very but no, but, but so conceptually speaking, though, this is the year of like whatever you think. Rea that's that, that's it. Whatever you think reality is, right. yeah, we got it. different. I agree. And you know what else is different? What else? is The different? Phantom Menace. <laughs> Star Wars is back, baby. I feel like I was at a math competition the week, the first night it replayed it, it opened, but maybe it was when well, they, they, were they did the original they, trilogy. It could have been. It was definitely one of those. Was the first night, and we were at the Bellis Fair Mall in Bellingham. Wow, I almost and went there, there this weekend. So many people there. Why were you at the Bellis Fair Mall? Because we were at these math competitions in Blaine, Washington, home of Luke Rittenauer. <laughs> <Hour. laughs> I think I'd forgotten that Luke Rittenauer is from Blaine. We didn't know Jake, that. At the Jake time. Locker is from Ferndale. Yeah, he's it's kind of replaced with Luke Rittenauer being from Blaine. Uh, but what a time. The Phantom Menace comes out. Denny Pelton, our cousin, 
I remember their house being just like covered in Star Wars stuff, right? That's about right. I have a, it's probably still up there in my childhood bedroom, a full size newspaper. This is from the newspaper, right? It's right next to the Ken Cloud. I'm pretty sure that's what this is. It was from the newspaper. Darth Maul face on the ceiling. Still maybe my favorite character from Star Wars it ever. It might have been a magazine. It is a huge Darth Maul head. And literally Darth Maul is my favorite character from Star Wars. Not because they developed any personality for the character whatsoever. They didn't bother doing that. Just because of the look? He just looked cool. And had a dope lightsaber. That's it. And that's all I needed as a 14 year old in 1999. What else would you need? Because, look, I didn't get movies like Fight Club or The Sixth Sense or Being John Malkovich until years later, right? I was only 14. Those were more like 16-year-old movies. But what I did get... Perfect for a 17-year-old like me. (laughs) A suburban white person? Yes. I wasn't that angry about stuff. You don't have to be angry to have your mind blown. That's true. Uh, And I remember going with... You weren't there. It was me and mom and dad, and we went to... The theater in Renton, actually. What is that one? The Renton Cinema, whatever. I don't remember what it was called. It was called something different at the time. And I remember drinking a full-size can of Pepsi before I went in and having to pee for, like, <laughs> it was, like, during the Padre scene that goes on for shockingly too long. But as we mentioned a few weeks ago on the pod, based on the late Ron Fairley. Yes, proofs. Proofs based it on Ron Fairley. And, uh... Being like, I can't go to the bathroom because Jan will yell at me. <laughs> it's like, I have to pee that's like, so bad. That's a common bad. theme on Let's Remember Some Years. But if I go to the bathroom, Jan will be pissed that I wasted whatever the percentage of the, the probably $6 to see this movie at the time was. Nineteen ninety nine in music. <clears throat> Wait, hold on. I want one more. Th- I want to talk about one more thing, assuming that it was 1999. Okay. In the timeline. Uh, matches up, so I'm gonna have fill for a second while I look this up here. Can I talk about music or no? Because it connects to that. Okay, yes, it created in 1999. The Man Show. Very oh much my god! With all of the these I'm telling you, this was it was the year of the suburban white man. It right? was. It really was. Like this was. Oh man! I just saw something. 1999 music. It's all about. 2001 of course there was only one record we cared about there was so much anticipation for that just as there is now for detox uh there's been a new detox basically i know but sitting in christmas basement in SeaTac, we would just turn it on like if you if you had 2001 available to you you were listening to 2001. What else did you need to listen to? Yeah, there was no other music. That was it. It was like Dr. Dre invented music, but also Dr. Dre kept his ear to the streets and... He signed Eminem? Signed Eminem. Wow. And this wasn't... I said this was the year for suburban white people because it was musically too. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Dr. Dre. I mean, that's not not for suburban white people? Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, there's that thing where Chris Rock talks about Adam Sandler being with Adam Sandler's boys or whatever in the car, and they rap along to every single word of, let me just say, those are some white guys from Boston (laughs) that he's talking about. Like, this was a suburban white people year and record. And when Eminem happened, it was like... What was the year that the... Was it Sublime? The Boys in the Hood cover? Boys in the Hood? Yeah. You don't remember that? Somebody did a Boys in the Hood cover. 
Oh, that was definitely not Sublime. The group was called, oh my God. They were called, uh, it's a one-hit wonder. They're called like Dirt something. That might have been 99 though, actually. It seems it's checkout. Oh, the boys in the hood are always hard. Come talking that track. It was like that, right? Yes. God, what was that group called? It was, this was their only popular song ever. Dynamite Hack. Dynamite Hack, huh? Okay. Wow. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Wait, we have to find what what, what year, year that was. was. I'm, I think pretty one. sure that was 2000, but it, it was all the same. It's definitely of a pace, yes. Yes, that was on the album in 2000. Uh, but it was like, this was when TRL was happening. Like, pop music was, and boy bands were... I mean, one of my defining memories of driving to baseball practice in the summer of 99 is hearing a lot of, like, the the Latin takeover that year, Living La Vida Loca. Wow, we were Living La Vida Loca. Yeah. But it was, I'm pretty sure I Want It That Way was 99. Sounds about right. And we were driving around in David's car, David Pelton's car, where you press the buttons on the side to get in, right? Do you remember that? that? It had like had one through ten, and you would press buttons to get in the door. And we thought that was like some pretty modern shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was like push to start we of the was some late nineties. Modern shit. Uh, this was Britney Spears happens for the first time ever. Yep. Uh, Christina Aguilera happens for the first time ever. Eminem happens for the first time ever. It was like, but in even the stuff that felt edgier, it was like Enema of the State by Blink-182, pretty sure is 1999, where it's like all of it was just like so filtered through major labels to be like as like clean as possible and tailor-made for Carson Daly. <laughs> yes, uh, Enema of the State was... Right. It was like every sing- every single subculture that there could have been was just like, let's just clean that up and submit it to Carson Daly here. <laughs> that sounds about right. So like there was pop punk happening. There was there was rap rock happening. I mean, Woodstock 99, which again, I listened. What is that podcast network called? That had, uh, uh, the show is called Luminary. Yeah, on Luminary. I listened to all of Woodstock 99 on Luminary. And it was like. This was, that's what Woodstock 99 was. Woodstock 99 was the Matrix, the the Sixth Sense. Oh, wow, the year of Believe. <laughs> that was different. It was but different. Th- this was the time that those kids were, like, they were at the center of culture for probably the last time ever, right? And for the last time, at least in the last two decades, when it was, like, the suburban white kids' own culture, and I don't remember I don't know if it was the last time, but it was the most prominently so. I don't remember a time because I mean we're about to start talking about indie when we get to early two thousands. Yes, and it is it is a very different type of person we're talking about. I agree. And the the aggressive oh, Mariah Carey heartbreaker. The nothing. Uh, well, ODB of course. Um, Oh, I know. That's fantasy. Sorry. November 5th, Gary Sharon leaves Van Halen. I saw that, yeah, in 1999 in music. <laughs> oh, wow. The first uh, co- person ever convicted for copyright infringement for downloading MP3s without permission, a University of Oregon student. That that checks out. Huh. But yeah, by the it, way, by the way, can I give you a Jan thing? This oh, is not God. technically 99, but I saw something that referenced this. Always. Uh, she was telling... Babyist, fan, baby fantasy genius about David Beckham. Uh huh. Because 
I, we were talking about Miami, his, his new his new expansion MLS club, and he said that he was married to Posh Spice and that they were from like the 70s or the 80s. And I was like, what? Wow. You are like so far off time-wise here. She's lived through a lot of decades. It's true. She has uh, a lot of years to remember. <laughs> a lot of years to remember. So th- this was, like I said, I, I mean, there was a lot of indie stuff that was bubbling in 1999. Was I aware of it? Fuck no. <laughs> I mean, I guess it was more 2000 that I switched over. They had one year where I was like, I'm listening to the end instead of Q. I think I think but 99 I think was, was the year. Maybe maybe it was 99. Maybe it was 2000. But it was like around this time period was when I started listening to the end. Like Dynamite Hack was like, they were one of the bands that was being played on the end when I started listening. Well, to they it. probably were being played on both. They were not played on Cube. Yeah, they were. No. Oh, that song? They were not playing Poison the Hood no, on Cube. that song was being played on every radio station no. in Seattle. No. They were playing it in all these stations. <laughs> That's how big Dynamite Hack was. <laughs> Dynamite Hack. Just wait till we get to Teenage moment. Dirtbag. Um, <laughs> uh, wait, is that that long after then? I think this was year 2000. Okay. We're going to find out right now. Uh but yeah, I mean, I, I really think that this was the last time in culture that you could you could be like, and this is what has led to a lot of the stuff that's happened since then of like, yeah, year 2000, our good friends from Wheatus, um, <laughs> where it was like the, the disenfranchised white man that's happened is a lot of kids who are just like, I wish it was fucking 1999 again, right? Trump's America is kids who wish it was 1999 again. From our good friends at hiphopgoldenage.com, the top 40 hip hop albums of 1999. If we can end on, if we can move on from that bleak moment, we have at number one from last week, it was Black Star. This week, it's one of the members of Black Star. It is Most Deaf with Black on both sides. I can't believe that record came out in 1999. It feels much more modern. Number two, another record kind of in a similar vibe, st- kicking things off for. Jimmy Fallon's backing band. As you know them, the roots, things fall apart. Number three. This was definitely not his best record ever, but again, starting things off here. This was, um, 1999 was the beginning of the indie rap movement, right? This wasn't Mad Villain, but it was Operation Doomsday by MF Doom. At number four, like we mentioned earlier, this was not indie rap. The Slim Shady LP. Come on, everybody. Get down tonight. And at number five, somehow. What? Like, look, I get that you guys are indie. I get that those were amazing CDs by the Wow, Black Delicious at number six, too. But 2001 is number five of 1999? <laughs> oh. That song, that album still holds up. I don't think you know about, about but it's students. Still good. Oh, it holds up. Students at Tai High School being like, the Nate Dogs reading. smoke weed every day. Oh. That was like, that line, he, they didn't need to release any other parts of the record. <laughs> that was it. It was like, that was the coolest shit that has ever been uttered on a song. When when Nate Dong says, cool shit, or smoke weed, cool shit every day. <laughs> cool shit every day, guys. <laughs> when Nate Dong says, smoke weed every day, it's just like, fuck me up, Nate Dog. All right. There's there's no moment of that record that isn't like seared. Well, and Feral Munch too, 
seared the, into our the souls. The very last isn't in mind because of the fact that the burned copy of the CD we had somehow cut off at yeah. the very end of it. It, it like got What's that called the message, <sighs> where he's he's talking on Easy. Uh, Wait, is it Easy? I thought it was like a relative. The one that his brother too. Yeah. Okay. Um. Wow. That's a I mean, nineteen ninety nine. A lot of skits on. On 1999. The message outro featuring Mary J. Blige and Rel. <clears throat> I'm telling you, every song now, this, this is one of them occasions when the homie ain't doing it right. I, I guess I remember all the songs. I'm not disputing that. Wow. Do you remember how much Andy's this like, album like that, on... that song right there whose name I can't say either the first word or <laughs> no, the second no. word? <laughs> I mean, you can Oh, wow. And he really liked that, that track, too, about some L.A. Uh... Oh, okay. people <laughs> pause for porno <laughs> you had to get to 22 tracks featuring how many skits were there <laughs> way too many there was an intro then there was the bar one skit wow i'm gonna listen to explosive later then there was the car bomb skit for some reason this isn't on spotify it's really terrible this isn't on spotify yet it's not on spotify <sighs> man jay-z's on spotify Dre. let's just rectify that I, it's conf- <clears throat> it's confusing because I think it's because he signed a deal with Apple Music. Yeah, but the Chronic is on Spotify, I think. Well, that's because, because it's Death Row not, owns that record. Yes, I'd say. That makes or, sense. Or sorry, it's owned by Hasbro. Oh, no, maybe I've got it backwards. 2001 is on here. But it, yeah, I've got it backwards. The Chronic, the chronic isn't is on here. All right, okay, I mean, wow. we're going to have to pause this podcast because I'm going to be listening to Ack, right? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so much for a short segment this week. No, no, we. We, we God, in the this. next episode, I'm just there's, dude. Still, still, TRE was the, like the lead single from that record. Yeah, and it was like it still slaps, but like, forgot about Dre. I know we're gonna be sued by <laughs> <laughs> my Apple. Well, Apple doesn't own that record. By the fine people at Interscope Records, <clears throat> I'll talk to them. <laughs> yeah, you got some contacts down there. <laughs> Uh, anything else on 1999? God, what a fucking year. The, the millennium. The millennium. Without I'm style. so ready for 2001, though. 2000, I got nothing to say about. I'm ready for the strokes to hit. You've got nothing to say about 2000? I Wait, what, it was it 2003? When is, when is this hit come out? The strokes have a new single? A series of them. Wow, October 9th, 2001. Is this it? Debut album by the strokes. Just... I think I didn't start caring about it until 2002, but... Right. Man, and White Blood Cells, when did that come out? We're going to we're gonna be talking about some indie bands. The, well, it, it, I mean, I'm going to use indie in the most liberal way possible. Um, yeah, understandably. But it was indie if you were a suburban... It was indie like Office Space is indie. I mean, also Yankee Hotel, Hotel Foxtrot in 2001. Wow, definitely didn't care about that until later either. A lot of other stuff came up. Here's the thing I learned recently that I didn't know. So the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot album cover has a photo of Twin Towers in Chicago. Chicago. Yes, I've seen them. 2001 also for White Blood Cells. But there's a Modest Mouse album. They kind of look like the Weston Towers (laughs) in Seattle. And there's a Modest Mouse album that has those towers on the front of it. You see these towers when you're in Chicago. I've only been to Chicago one time ever, but I've seen them. You're just like, or like, there's a lot of buildings. I referred to them as the Westin when I was in Chicago because they just remind me so much of the Westin Towers. So it was very surprising to me that uh, that there was an identical album cover 
Also, I don't know if I need to tell you this, but this record predicted 9-11. I just read the Chuck Klosterman <laughs> book so many times. It's in Killing Yourself to Live. That's probably the book I've read the most times in my life. <clears throat> That's the number one book. When he's like, actually, he's like, some people say that this does, but actually, it's about the vibes of today, right? Is that what he's talking about? Yes. But the Western Towers look very similar. They're in a modest on record. the Lonesome Crowded West. Oh. Which came out in 1997. We did not remember it because we were not listening to Modest Mouse yeah, at dude, the time. Yeah, I, I was actually. But that's gonna... a shockingly similar album cover, isn't it? Maybe I should wait, wait to. Wow, you're saying that Yagiota Foxtrot ripped off Modest that's Mouse. That's precisely what I'm saying. Two words for Jeff Tweedy cease and oh, boy. desist. Uh, oh, I don't know boy. if I should mention this right now or if I should save it, but. Because <clears throat> this didn't happen in 1999. There was. I've been pulled over maybe like three times ever in my entire life. Right? I zero for me. Zero. Yes. Well, aren't you special? Uh, I had I had long hair for a while, so I was a big threat. And the one time that I was pulled over in SeaTac, Washington, maybe Tequila, by the airport. Uh, it was by the Taco Time, actually going down the hill from the Safeway up by Tai. Uh-huh. And uh, I was listening to music really loud. Just blaring some aggressive music. And that music was float on by Modest Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> Disturbing the peace. <laughs> oh my God. So that was 1999. God. Next year we'll move into a new millennium. I can't wait. Good, th- good thing we did that fast. Yep. Oh, we're going through 2006. Is that what we've determined? I think so. <laughs> it's wait. still TV day. It's time for... I need to talk about Tilton Carlo Rossi back in the summer of 2006.